Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. Letting me know that. We are in a series of sermons on the armor of God. And uh, it's based on a theme verse that is uh, one that we've been saying and we're going to say one more week as we finish up the series. And let's say that together. Ephesians 6.11 Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. Ephesians 6.11 Jesus went to John the Baptist, he was baptized in water. When that happened, the Holy Spirit came upon him, he entered into his ministry, and where was the very first thing that the Holy Spirit led Jesus to do? It was to go out in the wilderness and suffer and be hungry and get tempted by the devil. Now a lot of us think, oh gee, that's not the kind of thing that I was looking for when I, I signed up on this. We want the Holy Spirit to lead us into blessings and into wonderful experiences and very often that happens. But when God is preparing us for things, sometimes we have to be tested, we have to uh, be strengthened through uh, struggling against difficulties and Jesus, no less than any of the rest of us, because Jesus understands all of our temptations, the Bible says. And he couldn't do that if he hadn't been through them himself. But the point that I want to make this morning is that Jesus did not overcome the temptations and the assaults of the devil. By invoking divine power, Jesus didn't call down a bunch of angels. Jesus had emptied himself of all of that, Philippians 2 says, when he left heaven to become one of us. He emptied himself of all the privileges and divine prerogatives of being God. And he limited himself to the same thing that every one of us had. That's what I want to talk about this morning. As we've been going through the sermons in the Armor of God series, we've talked about the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, the shoes of preparation, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. Next week we'll talk about the radio of prayer. And if you've missed any of those, you can get them on our website. Today we're looking at the sword of the Bible. And we have a key verse for the sermon, and let's say that. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Joshua 1.8 Jesus overcame the devil's temptations, not by divine power, but by quoting the Bible. 
The first temptation was resisted by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. The second one by quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. Then the devil said, well, hey, I know the Bible. I've got that whole thing memorized. I'm going to use this against them. I'm going to turn it around. And the devil quoted Psalm 91, 11, and 12. How many of you knew the devil can quote the Bible? He sure can. He doesn't follow it, but he can quote it. Just the way that some sharp people can quote the income tax laws. Just for the purpose of not following. And Jesus responded to that and answered back by quoting Deuteronomy 6. Now I think that Jesus must have just finished a Bible study in Deuteronomy in his devotional times or whatever. Because all of his answers were out of Deuteronomy. There are other places he could have answered. But the point was that Jesus Use the Bible to poke the devil back. The sword of the Spirit. Now this is not a, a long sword. The Roman soldiers, this was a, a, a sword, a short sword that was used for defense, for just holding the enemy back at arm's length. And so this is not uh, something that you can shoot out there and, and destroy the devil and keep him from getting at you forever. But whenever it comes too close, you can punch it back. Now, using a sword is not something that everybody can just do. You're not just born knowing how to do that. How many of you saw the movie The Princess Bride? Anybody familiar with that? Oh my goodness, you got to see that movie. Oh, that's a good movie. Mandy Potemkin plays a famous sword fighter who challenges a hero and says, My name is Inigo Montoya. Prepare to die. And, and that's about as good as my invitations get. And then the hero, Wesley, who was named, of course, after the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. Well, I just thought that's why I did that. Why Anyway, Wesley turns out also to be a great source when they have a marvelous sword fight. Or maybe you're familiar with Zorro, okay? Or, or the Three Musketeers. Or uh, for connoisseurs of the classics, my mother's favorite, Errol Flynn. <laughs> and Captain Blood. Or Robin Hood. Now, imagine one of those swordsmen challenged you to a sword fight. How do you think you would do Probably not so well. And so let's imagine that he recognized that you needed a little help, not being an expert. And so he gave you the greatest sword ever cracked. The finest Damascus steel, tempered and honed to a razor's edge, even with that sword. Even if you had pulled Excalibur itself out of the rock. Do you think you would be able to defeat an ego defiant or Cardinal Richard's henchman? Not unless you learn how to use the sword and work with it and practice with it until it became automatic. How many think you can learn to be a champion fencer, reindeer master by reading a book? You've got to work with it. You've got to practice. And it's the same with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. Just having the Bible on your shelf is like having a sword hanging over your fireplace. 
It doesn't help you a whole Our key verse tells us how to work with us so that we can become master swords. Oh, come on. And so it starts off, this book of the law. And when it talks about this book of the law, it's uh, not talking just about the first five books of the Bible known as the book of the law, in which, of course, would have been the reference in Joshua's day. Just a little background. This verse is part of a promise from God to Joshua. Moses has just died. The children of Israel are waiting just over the river from the promised land. And God is saying to Joshua, okay, Moses is dead. You're up. Get ready. You're going to lead my people into the promised land. And then he gives them this promise. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So, technically speaking, in historic context is what's known as the law, the first five books of Torah. But the principles apply to the whole Bible, and it's referring to the whole Bible. Because the principles of the Bible are the law of creation. They rule creation. And if anybody's interested in uh, talking about the canon of the Bible, and which books we include and which ones we don't, and so on, I'll be happy to talk with you about it. But it's talking about the Bible. And God says, this book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth. Now, that's an interesting thing, because most of us would think if you're talking about a book and the contents of the book, where would you place it? In your brain, right? Or maybe in your heart. But in your mouth? Well, I think there are four reasons why it shall not be part of your mouth. If you're looking at the outline, you see I've only got three listed there. And so you're going to have to listen carefully. First, we need to discuss it with Christians. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about the Bible, the Word of the Lord. How many of you have ever been in a Bible study, spoken Bible study, where you talk about things? Okay. It's, is that a good thing? You learn something? Did you learn stuff from the other people? Yes. That's the main way that you learn, is you're discussing it, and everybody's talking about it, and Christians are talking about the Bible together with each other, and you learn from each other. So, keep it in your mouth as you discuss it with Christians. Well, more than that, we need to tell it to non-Christians. There are a lot of people out there who don't know the Bible. You can't assume the way you could 50 years ago, or even 30 years ago, that the average American person has some acquaintance with the Bible. A lot of them out there don't even know the Lord's Prayer. So, we need to tell them, because a lot of people think they know about the Bible. Oh yeah, it was written by a bunch of drunken monks and it's full of contradictions. That's what people think about the Bible. Did you ever ask them to name one? No, they don't know any contradictions, because there aren't any that, that can't be uh, cleared up, but they don't know about it. So we need to discuss it with Christians, we need to keep it in our mouth to tell it to non-Christians, and as Jesus did, we need to keep it in our mouth so we can quote it to the devil when he tries to tempt us 
to do the kind of things that God tells us not to. We need to have the verses in our mouths that we can say like Jesus did. It is written this or that or the other thing. So I'm not going to do that thing that you're trying to tell me to do. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Whatever it might be. And the fourth one actually comes to the next word uh, or the next part of the verse. You shall meditate on it day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate uh, comes in from, from uh, the word that is used for cattle chewing their cud. And actually we use the same kind of, we have a different English word, but we use the same way. Ruminate means uh, for a cattle to chew its cud, for a cattle to chew its cud, or to think about something. Now, those of you that, uh, that, that know about cows know that they have four stomachs, and they eat the grass during the daytime, or when they, when it's an active time, a good time to be up and around, they eat the grass. Grass is tough stuff. You ever try to eat grass? It's tough. It takes a lot of chewing. So the, the first stomach is just kind of a place to, to get it out of the mouth and hold it. And so then after a while, the cow goes and lies down and brings it back up out of the, the storage place called the first stomach, and it chews it some more. And it chomps it, and it digests it, and breaks it down before it swallows into the second. And that is uh, is called ruminating. And that's what we're supposed to do with the Word of God. We meditate on it. We think about it. And also, the Hebrew has the connotation of muttering. So, say, say it out loud. Repeat it to yourself. And so what this means is don't just read it, but think about it. Think about it. Uh, it's great if you can memorize a little bit to think about during the day when you're stuck at a stoplight and you're in the line at the grocery store while you're lying in bed waiting to go to sleep. Bring it back up into your mind and think about it. Hold the verse or the passage of the Bible story up and turn it around and look at it from different angles and imagine yourself being a part of it, hearing uh, God say it to you or whatever the, the context is. Think about it. Dig up the treasures. It's not all on the surface. Mine the Bible. Mine the Word of God for the treasures. There are uh, wonderful tools on the internet or various books of different kinds that are like a, a pick and shovel for getting down below the surface and digging out the treasures. And figure out ways to apply it to your life. Because the Bible is for doing that's the next part of the verse. You shall meditate on a day and night so that you may be careful to do. The Bible is not something that you need to cram so that you can pass a pop quiz so God will let you know. That's not what it's about. It's a handbook. It's a manual. It's, it's the operator's manual for life on earth. It's for doing. If you don't do what it says, it won't do you good. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. According to all that is written in. Not just your favorite parts. Not just the parts that you like or that you agree with or that make sense to you. Or that, under, that you understand. Start with the parts you understand. And don't worry about the parts you don't understand. Famous theologian Mark Twain 
said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that get me trouble, it's the parts I do understand. Having enough trouble following those, but do according to all that is written. You probably heard the story about the guy that uh, his, his practice every morning was he would wake up and he would say, okay God, I'm going to open the Bible and I'm going to open it at random and plop my, close my eyes and plop my finger down and I'm going to trust you to give me my verse of the day. And that worked for a while when he was a brand new Christian. Because God gives baby Christians a lot of slack, just like we give baby people a lot of slack. But God expects us to grow up. And so one day the guy woke up and he says, Okay, God, here I go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to open it at random, give me my verse for the day. And he plops his finger down, and it's Matthew 27 5. Judas went out and hanged himself. He says, whoa, whoa, God, I think I, 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 my finger slipped. My finger slipped, God. I, I didn't really need to get that one. I'm, I'm going to try it again. Here we go. But here, Lord, this, this is my verse for the day. This is what I'm going to do today. And he pops his finger down on Luke 10, 37. Go and do likewise. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 it slipped again. It fell out. That wasn't really it. I, I was just kidding. Lord, this is the one. This is the one. Lord, this, this is what I'm going to do today. He pops his finger down at random and lands on John 13, 27, which says, what you are about to do, do quickly. <laughs> God expects us to grow enough to learn to use the whole Bible. Anybody ever had one of those Bible promise books? They used to be real popular, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, but basically, somebody went through the Bible and pulled out all the verses that promised good things and put all those verses in a book. The Bible promised them. And it's all like crazy. And uh, some of you may have one of those books. And they are good and encouraging because they're promises from God. But I found out they left out some promises. For instance, John 16, 33, where Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. How many to get up in the morning and claim that is your promise for the day? Well, I'm standing on that one, Lord. I'm standing on that promise. In this world, I'm going to have trouble. Not many of us. But you have to take the whole counsel of God together. You can't just pick out the verses you like. For instance, this is one quick example. People that claim women shouldn't preach. If I believe the Bible really said that, I couldn't be a United Methodist. There's one verse that seems to say women shouldn't speak in church. One that says, seems to say women shouldn't teach. But throughout the Bible, there are numerous examples of leaders and teachers and prophets who are women. And even in the one where it seems to say women should be silent in church, three chapters earlier in the same letter, it tells what women should wear when they speak in church. The third temptation was to take the Bible out of context. To pick and choose. The devil tried to pick and choose verses. So you need to know the whole thing so you can tell when that's happened. For then you will make the way prosperous. 
Now, to prosper doesn't mean to be rich in earthly things, money and houses and cars and so on. Those things might be included, but they might not. God doesn't promise that you'll have all the money you In fact, 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money, it says the love of money. So if your motivation for following the Bible is that you think you can find some magic formula for getting rich, then you're actually setting yourself up for all kinds of evil. To prosper means to have all that you need to do what God has called you to do. Now, you can't focus on what God's called you to do if you're living hand in mouth and scratching to put food on the table 18 hours a day. So God does want you to have enough to be able to live a comfortable life and take care of your basic needs because then you'll be able to focus your time and energy on doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. Uh, there's, there's a principle here that, that was... Uh, put forth some time ago by a, uh, a famous theologian. Well, he's not famous for being a theologian. A guy named Mick Jagger said, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. I thought you were going to start singing with me by this time. But if you try sometime, you might find you get what you need. You have heard that, right? <laughs> Maybe I should sing it again so you can do it now. I won't do that to you, okay? See, the devil doesn't want you to do what God has told you to do. One way he tries to stop is by attacking your job and your income and your finances. But if you keep reminding yourself of the principles of the Bible, you keep quoting them to the devil whenever he tempts you to go the way of the world, then you'll drive off the devil and his first promises that you will make your way prosperous. So God has given you the means to make your way prosperous if you will use it. And verse ends with, and then you will have success. And success means accomplishing your purpose in life. So if I was to ask you, what is your purpose in life? How many of you would be able to state clearly and concisely what is your purpose in life? It's amazing how many of us have never thought about it. If you can't state your purpose in life, how are you going to know if you're being successful? But again, the last thing the devil wants is for you to be successful in fulfilling God's call on your life. So he'll attack you every way he can to mess you up. In your job, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in your health, in your church work, any way that he can. But God has given you the means to be successful. If you will use it. When the devil attacked Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels, but he didn't. Jesus could have just used his divine power to zap the devil, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. You're not God, and you can't command angels, but you have that same sword that Jesus used. Don't let it get rusty. Let's say again our key verse. Joshua 1 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz. And for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.